Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? It is May 3rd at 5 o'clock p.m. I was sober yesterday. We'll continue to be sober today. Uh, it was turkey season here in the month of May. Went out there and chased a few birds. Did not manage to put one on the ground. I'm a turkey hunting hack. Really, really bad. Can't make the calls. Can't pick a good setup. Turkeys have phenomenal eyes. They can see color and detail unlike any other game species. And if you're not completely dialed in, if you don't have a tree that's bigger than you behind you, if you don't have all your colors matching the earthy tones, if you're standing out in any way, shape, or form, they ain't coming in. And so I had a couple of birds seeing my decoys working towards me. I didn't call at all, right, because I'm so bad. Uh, But then sure enough, they picked me off and scooted out. Earlier that morning, I had tried calling, and all the birds in the area instantly stopped gobbling. Uh, Spring turkey season, for those of you who don't know, you're only allowed to harvest a tom, okay, or a male turkey. In the fall, you can harvest a tom or a hen. Interesting detail, a lot of people don't know, interesting fact. For a long time, you could only hunt turkeys in the fall. It was considered unsporting, uh, unsportsmanlike. Uh, Unsporting? Yeah. In the spring, because they were so easy to kill. I find turkeys extremely difficult to kill, but, you know, when they're mating in the spring, they're gobbling, they're, they're going nuts, you know, they're all revved up, this testosterone's taken over, and so they make mistakes. In the fall, it's a lot more difficult. They still gobble, uh, but, you know, for the most part, they're just hanging out in flocks, doing their thing, getting ready for winter. So, it's been a change through the years, and I'm glad they made it, because, you know, hunter tags are what ultimately are responsible for conservation. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you love seeing animals out in the wilderness or fishing the lakes and oceans, thank a hunter or a fisher because they're the people whose dollars pay for those things, uh, not anybody else's. So, anywho, turkey hunting is tough for me. I traditionally always did it with a real hardcore stoner buddy of mine, uh, that kind of deadbeat dad fellow. And I did text him just to see if he was around. And, you know, it didn't really make sense for us to connect. I did end up burning that morning. I uh, can't say that it positively impacted my hunt at all, right? It just made me make even worse decisions. But, you know, I'm still having, I'm still grappling with this. I know you guys are too. And so, uh, you know, it's the addict in me that wants to cling, and is still clinging to it, right? Like I want to have, I'm thinking about having like a spiritual Saturday or something, right? Because for me as a teacher, Saturday is a day in which the next day is not work. And so I have a full day to recover, to get my mental faculties back, and then on Monday, boom, bang, bang, uh, we're back on the grind. And so, it sounds cool, right, in theory, it's just that in the past, whenever I make these exceptions, it never, never follows through. Now, granted, when I've said that I'm never going to smoke again, I also haven't been able to follow through on that. So, do I continue to dangle the carrot? I don't fucking know, man, but the meditating is, is... permitting some clarity unfortunately the meditating has been a grind man i for sure uh the last time i talked to you i was killing it and then on the 27th i did at least an hour on the 28th i did at least an hour 29 i did an hour for sure i didn't write those down i don't know what i did in the evenings Um, but saturday the 30th i was helping my family just made excuses zero meditating and oh no that's not true i think i meditated that morning before we left uh, yeah, I did. I thought, well, I'm going to change that on the calendar. Yeah, bang a uh, But unfortunately, Sunday, I did not at all. And whoo, you can tell, man. You can really tell. The thoughts creep back. What's wild about meditating, I've probably said this before, but 
Meditating is one of these things where you have an elimination of bad, not so much an input of good. Like, you don't get a euphoric buzz from meditating at any point during your day. You're not like, whoa, yeah, I got this I got this jacked up high, like porn or weed. No, fuck no. Nothing like that. It's just that slowly the, the repetitive thoughts that you have or the dwelling on, on negative things or perhaps a, a habit that you've had trouble kicking, those, or like let's say you have feelings of guilt, right? You've got these dark thoughts that come on, hit you, regrets, those sorts of things. Um, when you're meditating, that slowly phases out of your life, but it's like a frog in boiling water. You don't really notice it when it's gone. You, what you notice is when it comes back. And so when you stop meditating, you're good for maybe, you know, 12 hours or so, but then all of a sudden, boom, these this negative energy returns or, or these little idiosyncrasies in your identity uh, become known again. And it's like, oh, shit, yeah, I guess that was doing something for me. It's just strange. It's just... I, it's a very strange practice because I suppose lifting weights is kind of like that. You lift weights and you don't get bulky in a day or two. Like it takes time, but you can visually see it, right? Like eventually you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm strong. Now with meditating, I can also tell like after a week, right? I could really, really tell I was starting to be able to interpret people's actions and words and body language in a way that I was unable to before. I was able to interpret my own actions and body language in a way that I was unable to before. And if you're a first-time listener, I practice Vipassana meditation. Uh, It is the ninth order, according to the Buddha, as you read in some of these texts. Um, It's it's in terms of spiritual practices or or types of uh, activities that will um, give you a, a clean and whole spirit as you approach, you know, liberation you know, yoga is, is in there, but this Vipassana meditation is, is kind of the upper echelon of the path towards enlightenment. And so I practiced Vipassana because I was not looking for, I was not looking for spiritual anything. You know, I really wanted it to be, um, what do you call that? You know, secular. I wanted it to be secular, man. I, I went to church my whole life, didn't want any sort of like worship or religion. And what I really wanted was just to, to, to get to the root get to the very heart. Taoism was kind of interesting to me. Um, there's a little bit of yin and yang in Taoism, but Tao, and then, you know, then I learned about Dhamma, and then from Dhamma, it's like, oh, okay, but Vipassana is all about Dhamma. Dhamma is the law of nature. Dhamma is everything. And so Vipassana focuses on the body sensations because you produce these biochemical reactions uh, as you interpret sensory input, right? You have five senses. You see, hear, feel, you know, taste, smell. And once that happens, based on your life up to that exact moment, your body has a reaction. Is it a positive stimulus or is it a negative stimulus? You know, and then all of a sudden the juices in your body start flowing as a result. And, you know, farther down that chain, you might get something like elevated heart rate or a change in your breathing. But there's a lot of steps before that, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not even close to that. Don't get me wrong. But the, the ability to sense when your body is reacting, it helps stop you from reaching the red zone, you know, because your mind already kind of starts to go with it a little bit. And then your body is kind of catching up, or should I, let me put it this way, your body starts to react at the chemical level, and your mind starts getting spun up. And I don't notice my mind spinning up until I recognize that my body's sensations has have changed. 
Uh, it's, it's kind of a goofy way to describe it, but once I can, once I sense that my body's getting all worked up, or I or I sense these str- sensations um, inside me, then it's like, oh, okay, like cool. I focus on those. I re- I'm like, wait a minute, what what am I feeling? And then by turning, and literally, that's what it is. It's surprise. It's like, whoa, I'm feeling this thing. And then all of a sudden, when your mind is focused on that feeling, you're not focused on whatever it was that was stressing you out, or that you had an aversion to, or that you had a craving for, and boom, you're back down to a level state of peace. And so it's got a lot of value, man. It's got a lot of merit. I struggled this morning. I, I, I couldn't make it. I did a full hour, but it's kind of a misnomer because about every 20 minutes, I, I'm, I'm kneeling on a stool, right? Like my knees are underneath it. It's a meditation bench that I built. It's a piece of shit, just a couple of two-by-sixes I ripped with my circular saw and drilled together. But you can find the plans online, and so it's got a slight angle to it, right? And so it's this is this board about six inches off the ground. It's it's slanted a little bit, and the slant is going towards your knees. If you were to slide your feet underneath the bench and put your bottom on top, that slant is headed down towards you, and then your your back is nice and straight and tall. And so basically, I could last about twenty minutes today, and then I had to lean forward, and like put my head on the ground, and just like take a break. Like my back was hurting, like I was just having trouble. I breathe a few times and then get back up, you know, try to ride it out as long as I can and then get down. And what's wild about meditating, I will say this too, is like you have the choice. Like that's what's so insane about it. And I think that's why uh, it's so useful is you have the choice to gut it out or not. You have the choice to follow the thought or not. You have the choice to keep working or not. And so that's what it is. It's just exercise. Make the right choice. Make the right choice. Focus on my breath. Focus on my breath. Focus on sensation. Focus on sensation. Be equanimous. Be equanimous. Like this isn't, you know, the pain is not hurting me. There's just sensation in my knee that's uncomfortable. Or there's sensation in my knee, right? Like, okay, yeah, I'm interpreting it as pain, but it's still sensation. And my goal is to observe sensations equanimously, not have any craving, not have any aversion to it, and just move on. Because you know what? Everything is impermanent. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. And so, I like I said, I was I was smoking like a chimney on Sunday. Uh, I smoked a little bit Saturday, and you know I, I I fell off the wagon. But dude, not smoking yesterday. Whoa, dude! All of a sudden today, I was jacked up. I went to, in my meeting this morning, and I'm I'm telling you, I was firing, baby. I was. Like, pop, 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 pop. Everybody's like, whoa, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just didn't kill any brain cells last night. I got too many right now. And I think the other piece is I actually had decent sleep. You know what's wild is when you smoke for all of us potheads out here, you're smoking and you don't have any dreams. So Sunday, I, again, I have a choice, right? Like I recognize them. I could choose. I've been smoking all day. I'm like, "Mm, I have a choice. I could smoke right before bed or I could not. And what did I do? I smoked right before bed, like literally right before bed. I still had dreams. I was so tired from waking up at 3.30 in the morning, and 3 o'clock in the morning, actually, for the turkey hunt, but I was so tired that my body forced me into REM sleep. And I've heard uh, psychologists talk about this with alcohol, that people will have, like, waking hallucinations, because alcohol also impairs the quality of your sleep, and eventually you're so fatigued that your brain goes into REM or goes into this dream-induced state even while you're awake, and so you're hallucinating. And so I, I think I had an experience like that. You know, body super run down, and my brain was just like, you're fucked up, and it still kicked me into the dreams. And so last night, I did not dream, even though I was sober. You know, it's because too, too much THC in my system, probably. But, I, you know, I was jacked up today. I, I do think part of that is not having the lethargy, 
from the weed, but I also think part of that is probably just from getting higher quality sleep. <sighs> I feel like I'm saying some of the same things that you have heard before, so if you're a long-time listener, I am very, very sorry, uh, but just kind of getting it out there for maybe the new person. Let's have enough of my words and get into the scripture today. I definitely notice that the more scripture in my life, the less marijuana, and I don't, you know, whatever that is, the connection, God, Jesus, the great Yahweh, um, or just the fact that there's so much wisdom in here from, you know, that's been collected for thousands of years. I don't know, but it works. And maybe there are some things I have to recognize that I don't understand and I just have to accept and be okay with it. And so this section, uh, Proverbs chapter six says, avoid surety. And I had to actually look this up. Like what is surety? And surety is when you agree to take responsibility if somebody else uh, does not follow through on their financial commitments. So I think of like co-signing for a loan, like, hey, if this person doesn't make the payments, like you've agreed to make them for them. And so this uh, section says to avoid surety. I'll at least read, and then later, uh, shun laziness, avoid adultery, and then I might move into chapter 7. We'll see how I go. So uh, Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man." A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when do you awake? they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. 
wounds, and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. Yeah, that is our scripture of the day. And uh, there's a couple things in there that resonate with me. The, the, the sluggard. You know, I got a lot of chores on this house that I've been neglecting. That I, you know, if I'm burning, I'm not working on the house. And, uh, you know, this other piece about the uh, the idea of, you know, sleeping with the woman or not let her capture, capture you with her eyelids. You know, I mean, these women online, I mean, they're just trying to make a buck, right? Like, I'm not hating on them. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're they're kind of like adulteresses. And, and to think that I can engage in, with pornography and then come out of that unscathed is nonsense. And I know for a fact that men and women do not come out unscathed uh, when they view, read, consume, or participate in pornography. Like, that's, that is a well-documented thing. So, some really good words here. And I'm, I'm not a, a, a pastor, so I, I don't want to try to interpret them for you. I just hope that uh, you can find a little bit of wisdom in them the same way I do. So, our uh, health tip today or slash this week, don't smoke weed. <laughs> no, drink lots of water. Okay, okay, that's true too. Um, you know, we've already talked about diet and how you need to have simple carbs only when your body needs them, which is first thing in the morning or immediately post-workout. After that, avoid them because it spikes your glycemic index. I think we've talked about the need for fiber, uh, not because fiber cleans your gut or something like it's scraping the crap out, but because the bacteria in your gut, this which is an entire ecosystem, right? Like mouth to anus is literally one big tube. It is its own ecosystem. Like it ain't your body in there. That's space. Like that is space that you have the chance to influence. And so you consume fiber because the good bacteria in your gut need it in order to survive. Those simple sugars, when the bacteria consume them, create toxins, uh, and the toxins kill your good bacteria. So definitely eat lots of fiber, drink lots of water. Uh, but these are all nonsense tips. I mean, come on, let's, let's get a, a really good one here. I think we've talked about foam rolling and the need to go across the muscle, the 30-second rule where the Golgi tendon apparatus needs a chance to relax. So if you're applying pressure to a knot, you need to continue to hold that pressure for about 30 seconds before you slide maybe half an inch one way or another and repeat. Uh, it takes that long for your body to release. You can't just like rub aggressively for 10 seconds, then rub aggressively for 10 seconds. That's not enough. Slow down, Bessie, slow down. Um, I don't know if we have talked about... When you're lifting, moving from compound to isolation exercises. And so here's a great example I'm in today, you know, lifting with my assistant principal, a big fellow, and, uh, you know, been kind of training with him. He needs a gym buddy, and, I, you know, I'm happy to do that because he, he reciprocates a lot of great things for me. Uh, I really look up to him. Uh, he's helped me out, helped me navigate some tough situations at school. And so, you know, I'm putting myself out there. It's not the most convenient thing for me, but... I, and the reason I'm telling you this right now is because it was really weighing on me this morning. Like, I don't want to be there. Like, it's, I need to be at my own house doing my own back PT, my yoga, shooting the bow, doing my feet. Like, I had a whole morning routine. And then I get to school at a decent time, lots of prep. Uh, but whatever, you know what? I, it's all good, man. I, my, my spirit is better for, for helping this fellow. So we did chest today. Up to this point, we had done full body every other day. And so now we're switching to body parts, which, if you're a bodybuilder, is pretty much the standard uh, modus operandum. You know, uh... I think if you're a novice lifter, I think if you're getting into it, or I think if you're uh, if you your main athletic pursuit is in a different field like running or triathlon or swimming, there's a lot of merit to just doing the full body because you're really working your nervous system, right? The central nervous system has to coordinate, you get a chance to get everything all fired up. But in terms of hypertrophy and making your muscle mass grow, 
that's not necessarily the best way to go about it. And so what I would recommend, like here's an example. We did chest today. And a compound exercise is where multiple joints are moving at once. Example, a squat, right? Your knees, your hips, your ankles, all three of those are moving. Contrast that with a leg extension. I'm sitting down, my feet are hooked underneath a little padded bar, and all I do is take my foot and I raise it forward off the ground like I'm at the doctor's office where they hit you on the knee with a little hammer and you go, boop. That's what you're doing. You just raise it up. So one joint, is the knee is what's moving, and only the quadricep is being worked. So in the realm of bodybuilding and fitness, I highly, highly recommend that you do those at the very end. Why? Because it's much easier to regulate the stress, number one. Number two, it gives you a really great pump. Uh, And number three, because you're usually pretty shot. And so when I talk about regulating stress, that's an opportunity to prevent injury. Okay, the last thing you want to do is pre-fatigue one muscle or two muscles before you go into a really, really heavy compound move. And compound moves are traditionally a heavier lift. Uh, Example, squat, deadlift, and bench. So today... Uh, We benched early in the workout, but I had us do the dumbbell press first. Why did I have us do the dumbbell press? Because you can move a lot of weight. It's still a compound move, right? Like it's not the bench press, but it's, it's still a press. And so you can use a lot of weight and that's the time to, and it's, it's, I'm sorry, you guys, it's the dumbbell press. If you were to survey, like, let's say you want to survey 15 professional bodybuilders, 14 of them are going to say the dumbbell press is their number one move for chest. You can do a lot of weight. Any exercise that you can do a lot of weight on, you should take advantage of it. You should not beat yourself up and take away your opportunity to move that weight. Your body moves weight through coordinated pulses of electronic stimulus and through coordinated movements of these fibers. Um, you know, the fibers are on the, a gross scale or on a really large visual scale are those striations that you see in your muscles when someone's really shredded and it looks like they got lots of lines on their chest or something. Those are, those are striations and those are like fibers at a really macro level. Do the exercise that allows you to move the most weight early because that's creating the most stimulus on you. Even though Let's say you know, you're know you squatting and you can squat 300 pounds, but you wait till the end of your workout, you can only squat 150. Well, you're squatting 150 and you're like, man, but I'm grinding. Like, I'm really hurting. Like, whoo, this is working me out. Yes, that's true, but your body is not coordinated, coordinated enough. It has fallen apart so that it's unable to perform a 300-pound squat. So don't do that at the end. So the dumbbell press, you can move a lot of weight, and it's way safer than bench pressing. Best bench pressing is where you tear a pec. If you're going to pair a tech, tear a pec, <laughs> it's going to be bench pressing. So dumbbell press, four sets of six, heavy weight. Uh, today we did, you know, three sets of ten because you know, we're, we're, we're kind of young in the lifting world. At least this guy is. And then from there we went to the bench press. The pecs were warmed up. Uh, you know, now we can work on having the tricep a little more engaged. You know, we pre-fatigue the main muscle of the bench press. Um, and so here's the thing. If your pec is all jacked up and strong and your triceps are super weak, you go to do a dumbbell or a barbell bench press and you're like, uh, you, you get it up, <clears throat> but you can only get up so much weight as what your triceps will allow by taking some of the gas out of the pec. Now I'm working them a little more evenly. Like the tricep is not perhaps the most limiting factor or it's not so overwhelming. 
and my pecs are warmed up so I don't tear them. So as you move through your workout, you're slowly moving to less and less compound movements. And so at the very end, you might do something like a cable crossover where your arms are spread out, you're, you're grabbing the handles, which have pulleys attached to them, and your arms are staying pretty much wide open, just a little bit of bend to the elbows, and you're bringing your hands together in front of you. Literally all you're working when you do that is your pectoral muscle. Same thing with the biceps, right? Like a dumbbell row where you're on a bench and your hand is on the bench, your knee's on the bench, your back is completely flat, and you've got a you're almost like you're starting the lawnmower. You know, your your other hand is gripping a dumbbell which is on the floor and you're starting that lawnmower. You're using your lat, you're using your rear delt, you're using your biceps, you're using your forearms. It's a compound move. By the end of the workout, you should literally have a preacher bench, or you should put your elbow inside your leg on your thigh, and then all you're doing is just curling, and you're just working the bicep. You know, so you're moving from these big movements down to the isolation exercises, and that for sure is going to produce some bangering results, assuming that you can maintain consistency. And so uh, with that, you guys, let's do a, go ahead and uh, do our quote in this strange fucking time, because I was just on Twitter. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, but, uh, you know, with Elon Musk shaking everything up, I decided to, you know, kind of d- dip my toe back in there, finding out that, you know, Supreme Court documents are leaked, Roe versus Wade potentially being overturned. Now, strange thing about that, it's coming out less than 12 hours, less than 10, I mean, I don't even know, it could be even closer than that, it could be like six hours, from when Pfizer released 80,000 pages of report on the jab, on the COVID vaccine, right? Because they were ordered to start releasing their info, not waiting 70 years. They were ordered to start releasing it sooner. And on May 2nd, they dropped 80,000 pages, which, uh, according to my math teacher buddy, would take somebody 50 days without sleeping, assuming they could read a page a minute, which, of course, is impossible. And you can't certainly read for 50 days without sleeping. So it's just it's just pretty strange is it coincidence that like an incredibly divisive issue like this is all of a sudden slammed down the american people's throat at a perfect time to distract them from you know what is potentially like a a total game changing uh enlightenment from this whole covid vaccine craziness um i don't know i think just I think that the possibility exists. <laughs> I think the possibility exists that somebody is trying to distract us. Um, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not anti the jab. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm, you know, there were people that wanted it or needed it, and that's totally cool. I did not get it. There were way, way, way more unhealthy people than I than I who got COVID and survived. Okay, I'm a super duper. I'm I'm literally in the demographic: 31 year old male athlete. Uh, extremely healthy lifestyle. I am the demographic who is the safest, uh, other than perhaps young kids, which is like bizarre that we're trying to slam these young kids with one. But I'm going to lose all. You know, you guys aren't aren't going to listen anymore. I'm talking politics, but um, it is bizarre to me. And you know, the argument that well, you can you can infect somebody else. Well, you know, we found out that vaccinated people were also spreading COVID. So I, I'm no worse of a human being than anybody else. Uh, I just chose not to uh, put something in my body that was under emergency youth auth- emergency use authorization. I thought I might just wait a little bit and see how it all shakes out. And I'm fucking glad I did because the heart trouble and the people passing away in their sleep, there was an article from a kid in a county just over from us, died 13 years old, died in his sleep, got 48 hours after his uh, second jab, and 
when they did the autopsy, they found that he had an enlarged heart. But don't worry, the CDC and the Department of Justice came in, took over the entire thing, and after they uh, did their research, uh, they determined that it was not due to the uh, vaccine. Obviously, his heart just swelled in his sleep spontaneously and killed him. Had nothing to do with the jab, so... <clears throat> yep, anywho, anywho, sorry, let's move away from that. I apologize, I apologize. Um, Thomas Jefferson once said... If you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. Remember to find satisfaction in the struggle and peace in the moment. We'll see you next time. Thank you.